Hi, this is Megan McHugh, and this is the podcast of Triple R Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website. G'day, welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1311, entitled The Qualities of Mercer. Our podcast title is I'm Thinking of Podding It All. <laughs> I am Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And yeah, there is... Once again, so much genre out there. I am in the middle of binge-watching The Expanse. Mm -hmm. I'm in the terrible thrashing throes of watching uh, the end of Season 2 of The Boys. Fargo Season 4 is on SBS. There are a few episodes in now, Mm -hmm. so you can catch up on demand. There's 11 episodes in total of Fargo. The Mm African-American crime syndicate and the mafia are battling it out for control of 1950s Kansas City in that. Chris Rock. Oh. uh, Yeah. And Jesse Buckley, who you may remember Mm -hmm. from the HBO miniseries Chernobyl, Mm -hmm. but she was also played a young woman in I'm thinking of ending things. Mm-hmm. Yes, she does. <laughs> yeah, which is a link to our later content in the show. Mm-hmm. And it's also got Timothy Oliphant in it too. Oh, I love Timothy Oliphant. I think he's having a renaissance time. I think anything he's in, I will watch. Yeah, from Deadwood to Santa Clarita Diet. Yeah. And Star Trek Discovery Season 3 has dropped as well on Netflix. 13 episodes set over 900 years into a future where the United Federation of Planets no longer exists as an organised civilization. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. challenging. <laughs> English actor David Ajala joins the cast. You may remember him from Supergirl and also a show called Night Flyers. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Frakes, who played Commander William Riker in the original Star Trek series, and also he shows up in Picard as well. He directed the third episode of this season. He has directed other ones. They really managed to just slide this one in before the pandemic closed all of the other productions down as well. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it took a while to do post-production remotely. Mm-hmm. But they've done it, and well, we've got it. Nice. <laughs> and Stan has its Brave New World series. All nine episodes dropped at once. Oh. Mm. And that's based on the um, Eldest Huxley novel, of course, which we all know from study in school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'll have to break out the Soma for that one. <laughs> Amazon Prime's got The Walking Dead, World Beyond, another spin-off of Mm -hmm. that show. Mm -hmm. And on December 16th, looking forward into the future, The Expanse Season 5 is coming out. They've dropped their trailer too to much expectation. I actually think The Expanse is one of the finest science fiction series across any of the streaming channels or on television at the moment. Wow. Disney Plus also has the right stuff based on the Tom Wolfe novel. You you may remember the pretty good motion picture. Now they've got a series. Okay. And, of course, The Mandalorian, as we've discussed before, pops up on October 30th. And I've also been watching Tales from the Loop, which we will talk about today. Mm -hmm. But first, Megan has a movie and a book to discuss. Yes. 
Mm. But first, we shall have a track from Tales from the Loop, which is a television series we'll be talking about later. Hi, I'm David Zindel, author of the Lightstone Fantasy series, and you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Tales from the Loop, the main title theme, mm-hmm. by Paul Leonard Morgan and Philip Glass. Oh, love Philip Glass. Love a bit you of could, Glass. Yes, you could probably realise that immediately as you heard that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Megan. Mm. Yes. So I don't know if we've ever really done this. We may have, but I want to talk about a book and movie combo because I had read this book and then found out pretty quickly after or sort of while I had it on my to-read list that it was going to be coming out as a movie on Netflix. And so I've read the book quite semi-recently and watched the film very recently. So I thought let's do a two-for-one and review both. But obviously, I'll say straight up, I'm going to aim for no spoilers. So I think it is best to go into this one with little or no knowledge or expectations. So I'm going to keep this very spoiler free. So fear not if you have not read or watched this. So what I'm going to talk about today is I'm thinking of ending things. So you might have already seen this advertised to you on Netflix because it is a movie on Netflix at the moment. And I know a lot of people were asking me about this and there was a little bit of hype around it because it's a Charlie Kaufman film. So we'll get to him and that a little later. But first I wanted to talk about the book because I read the book first and I always think it's nice having a bit of a look at the book as a starting point. So I'm thinking of ending things. It was written by Ian Reid and it was published in 2016. So it's a couple of years old now. And I think the rights to it were bought for for a film in about 2018. So it's available, hard copy, ebook. So I personally read it on an ebook and I discovered this book as well as the book I spoke about last week or like a couple of weeks ago, Severance by Ling Ma. I discovered these books through what the kids call booktube, which is YouTube, but channels that mainly focus around books and reading. You know, there's a whole bunch of different people and they're talking about a lot of books, but you'll see the similar books pop up a lot. And this is one book that I've seen on quite a few different videos. So I'm thinking of anything. I was like, this sounds interesting to me. I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to read it. And then obviously realized the movie was coming out. So I would recommend to you if the premise and what I'm about to discuss sounds interesting that you read the book first because I've said no spoilers. We know that a lot of literature these days maybe has a couple of surprises or a twist or two. And I think you were going to look at the second thing. So if you do book first, you're going to look at the movie or go into the movie knowing certain things and vice versa. So basically once you know what the story is, you know. So have a little think about whether you want to do book first and that would be what I would recommend because some of the impact from the story really comes from, you know, the the reveal, let's say. Now, this book is pitched as a horror novel. I wouldn't say it's horror. I'd say it's much more of a psychological thriller and it's very, very atmospheric. So let's talk a bit about the plot. So it's about a young woman our protagonist. So we're reading from her perspective and she's going to meet her boyfriend, Jake's parents on an isolated farm. So it's a bit of a road trip. So they're driving out there and it's a meet the parents story, but not the meet the parents we know and love from the De Niro rom-com days. No, no, no. This is a dark and strange evening. And we kind of know already from the very premise of the book, like the first 
couple of lines, the trailer of the movie, that the whole premise and the title refers to the fact that she's having some second thoughts about the relationship. So it's very in her mind. It's very, you know, oh, is this right for me? Is Jake the right guy for me? That kind of thing. So we arrive at the house. Things are a bit weird, let's just say. So it's freezing. So part of the whole thing, it's quite snowy. And the weather is kind of a character in itself. Like it's very much, this book is very good at place and feeling. So the story is both very simple and also has a lot going on underneath. So our simple premise, yes, is girlfriend going to meet boyfriend's parents. It's a weird situation. It's very cold, It's very isolated. And then, you know, they kind of, they do this visit and then on the way home, some stuff happens, let's say. Uh, without giving anything away. So there's some existential themes here about relationships, imagination, idealizing your partner, things like that, a lot about loneliness, the self, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I don't think that those are very generic themes. I don't think we're giving anything away there. And really the whole thing is about the atmosphere. So we're from her perspective, we're in her head, and it's very rich in terms of describing her thoughts and feelings and her experiences and her opinions and kind of shifting vibe as this night goes on and she's in this strange house and her thoughts about her boyfriend and her thoughts about her boyfriend's parents and her kind of point of view and what's happening around her. So that's what I found to be quite interesting in it and it will become more interesting to you once you've read it. You'll see what I mean in that that is interesting in itself that we get such a rich view from her. So, so I mean, it's really no much, not much more to say about the plot, really. Well, there's a couple of other settings at play. Can I ask, where is this one set? Ah, so it's set in, ooh, I know the movie is set there, but I'm pretty sure it's set in like a rural kind of town. I'm pretty sure it's Oklahoma. Uh, so, yeah, so it's in the US and uh, they. I'm pretty sure they drive from a smallish city I should remember these details a little while ago, but she's a university student. And so they go from her city, her normal life, and then they go on this trip out into this very isolated farm, snowy, that kind of thing. So yeah, so we're talking United States. Regards the plot, you can guess what it's driving towards, but nonetheless, I do think Reed sets the stage very well in the book. And the atmosphere is execution, I think, is what makes this book quite interesting. And it's a very quick read. So I devoured it. It's perfect for a winter night or a rainy night. Like we're talking page turner here, like best if it's cold, best if, you know, you're rugged up. It's that kind of book. While there are some interesting ideas in the book, I would say it's it's page turner fiction. I don't think it's it's high literature. But that being said, I was genuinely creeped out. It genuinely scared me in some parts. And I can't even explain why. I think it's something about there's some unsettling things and an unsettling vibe. And you really feel that you're in this woman's head and feeling the way she's feeling like as these weird things happen. So I thought that was very well done. And the ending sequence, there's a lot of really lovely imagery, not lovely, horrifying, (laughs) horrifying imagery. The ending I thought was great. Like we're in a setting that I was like, yes, I feel, I really feel this in my bones. And there are some story threads that it does set up that I wanted to come to something a little bit more than what it did. Um, there's a tense buildup and I really wanted a really satisfying conclusion. And 
And I wouldn't say necessarily I received that. I didn't mind the ending. Let's say that. You know, I mean, really, when you think about horror, that is Zero G's definition of lovely anyway. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was terrifically horrendous. Um, the lovely bones, as <laughs> Peter Jackson would have it. Okay, now just to remind listeners what book we're talking about here. Ah, uh, Yes. So we are talking about a book called I'm Thinking of Ending Things. And as I mentioned earlier, it's a bit of a psychological thriller and very much largely set inside the mind of a young woman who's having second thoughts about her relationship. That's our one-line pitch, but it's also about a lot more than that. And it's very much about the mood of the thing. So all of that in mind... I will move on to talking a little bit about the film adaptation, but before we do, I thought we'd take a little break and let's listen to a track just to break things up. If you have seen the movie or will see the movie, you'll know why I play this. I don't really know anything about this musical whatsoever. I looked it up and I picked a track. (laughs) It's it's from Oklahoma, exclamation mark. It's the Oklahoma Overture. So let's take a listen to that before I jump into talking about the film adaptation of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Well, all right, everybody out there, get your brooms and get ready to, to sweep down the plains. Hi, my name is Greg McLean, director of Wolf Creek and Rogue. You are listening to Zero G on 3RRR. Roger that, Hammerstein, the, the Oklahoma Overture. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I do trust that you all have your hats and coats dropped in the cloakroom and uh, settled down for the rest of the show. I feel like I'm in a musical interlude from a 1940s or 50s radio show. I know. It's so jaunty, really set the scene for uh, the reason why I played. That was our discussion of the contemporary horror novel, I'm Thinking of Ending Things. So it is relevant to the film adaptation. Yes, I feel like that made me feel very old radio, that tune. (laughs) So yes, on to the discussion of the movie adaptation. So I just talked a little bit about the novel, which came out in 2016. And then this year, nigh one month ago, we have the Netflix film that was written and directed by Charlie Kaufman of I'm Thinking of Ending Things. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about that adaptation because I did check that out after I had read and really enjoyed the book. So Charlie Kaufman. Now, He is a writer and director who is very close to my heart, really takes me back to my roots, like I feel like is saturated in my soul. He is, of course, very well known and has received accolades for his screenwriting and also some recognition for his directing. He did, of course, write Being John Malkovich and Adaptation. He collaborated with Spike Jones, who directed the film adaptations of those screenplays. So, yes, Jones and Kaufman are uh, very familiar film bedfellows, let's say. And Kaufman has also worked several times with the French director, Michel Gondry. He wrote the Oscar-winning screenplay for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which Michel Gondry directed. Gondry also directed another of Kaufman's early screenplays called Human Nature. I actually wrote my film thesis on the work of Michel Gondry. And so a large chunk of that was dedicated to his film, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which I think is a brilliant screenplay. And so Kaufman also wrote the screenplay for Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, which is uh, George Clooney's directorial debut. Kaufman has quite a few credits under his belt for screenwriting, but then he also has tried his hand at directing. So he wrote and directed Schenectady, New York. So Jones was originally meant to direct that one, but then he 
went and did where the wild things are. And so Kaufman stepped in. He just loves to direct things that are hard to say. He also directed more recently Anomalisa, uh, which is an animated film that received quite a lot of critical praise. Now, this is his third film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, which he did for Netflix. I think his screenplays are incredible. I think Bing John Malkovich adaptation and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind are some of the films that made me love films. And he's also tried his hand at books. So this year he has released a novel called Ant Kind, which I've not read, but probably will read. And one thing that I thought that was interesting Kaufman was doing was he's actually working on an adaptation of the Japanese. Japanese novel, The Memory Police, which has received a lot of attention lately. It's an older book written in Japanese by a Japanese author, but has recently received an English translation. And so there's a lot of talk about that book at the moment, and he's working on a film adaptation of that, which is pretty exciting. So the reason why I'm listing off Kaufman's many works is that, yes, his third film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, is the one we're discussing today, based on the book by Ian Reid. So, okay, so as an adaptation, let's talk a bit about the movie. The story is very much the same. So what I will say, this film is very interesting is because in some ways it is very, very faithful to the book in terms of the essence of the story and in other ways it is very, very different. Let's run through our cast of characters that we've got. So it's a very slim cast. We have uh, our protagonist, the young woman who the book's perspective is written through. So she is played by Jessie Buckley, who you mentioned earlier in the show, Rob, for her appearance in season four of Fargo. She was also in Chernobyl, as you mentioned, and a 2016 adaptation of War and Peace. Brie Larson, who we know as Captain Marvel, of course, she was originally cast in the role. And then I'm supposing that maybe due to Captain Marvel or other things, she stepped out of that role and was replaced by Jessie Buckley. And I think Jessie does a really great job in this film. And I kind of like that she's a lesser known actress. She's been in a few things, but not a lot. I think she's a a great name, name to watch. Uh, We have another familiar face, fellow that you'll be very familiar with, Rob, and listeners of Zero G. So it's Jesse Plemons plays Jake, the boyfriend. Now, of course, we know him for his turn in Breaking Bad, the latter seasons of Breaking Bad, and then, of course, El Camino. Yes, the Breaking Bad film. And he was actually in, of course, season two of Fargo. So we've got a lot of Fargo alumni here. So he was in season two of Fargo. He was also in what I think is one of the finest episodes of Black Mirror, USS Callister, the Star Trek-ish Black Mirror episode, which is exceptional in my mind. Of course, I recognize him from his debut in Friday Night Lights, (laughs) which is not genre, but team football film and TV series, very close to my heart. So we've got those two as our main couple. And then of course, main story point, we're heading off to meet Jake's parents played by, I mean, we've got a spectacular cast here, Tony Collette. So she plays the mother. She's, you know, six sense. She was in Krampus, that film, the Christmas film that I think you really liked, Rob. And uh, Hereditary, the A24 horrific horror film, and more recently Knives Out. And United States of Tara, where she plays Brie Larson's mother. Oh, of course. Well, see, I mean, this could have been round two until Brie had to step out. Yes. So Tony Collette, no one loved her. I mean, she's 
brilliant, obviously. Then, of course, we've got David Thewlis, who is most probably widely Lupin in Harry Potter. He was also in Kaufman's Anomalisa, and he's in season three of Fargo. <laughs> yes, he was also in uh, Dragonheart playing the evil king <laughs> and also in the Wonder Woman movie playing Ares, God of War. Of course, yes. So no one love him. Uh, I mean, those are some really heavy hitters to get in here as the parents, and I think they really attack this with relish. Like those characters, and this is not a spoiler just to say, those characters are you're doing some stuff in this film. So really great to see them. And I think overall the acting in the film holds it up quite a bit. Like I think this is such a strange film and so weirdly composed that you need some strong actors in there. And I mean, obviously these guys are all fantastic. So thoughts, as I mentioned before, yes, the plot is pretty much similar, but there are some added notes and different things that are included in the film that aren't from the book. It is just as unsettling. It's quite tense. I will say the production design is brilliant. So the color palette here, and you'll see from the trailer and the promotional materials, it's wonderful. It's very vibrant, but at the same time, kind of decay, very decaying, which is kind of perfect for the film. So it's a little bit aged, but it's also very wintry. And then it's, it feels like it should be quite warm and homey, but it's, it's not. So, and that's kind of a perfect way to describe this film. Does it feel a bit American gothic-y sort of? A little, yeah, but in this very, I don't even know, like a rural American kind of way. Like, yeah, it's definitely American mm, gothic. Yeah, so like this faded photograph kind of weird and there's a great dinner scene where you just, there's all these things going on. You're like, oh, gosh. I mean, there's so much about this film that I think is done note perfect and The film obviously has to tackle things a bit differently because it's still largely focused on our young woman protagonist, but it's not the same as reading in first person and being in her mind. So they have to use some devices to get that same impact, which really worked well in the book. And I will say the film is much more cerebral. So there's a lot of discussion and there's a lot of subtext and references. And I mean, for lack of a better term, intellectual posturing. Like there's a lot of kind of more heavy stuff, which is fine. I actually think it fits with the story. Yeah. I'm definitely not saying this film is by any means bad, quote unquote. It is a very well done film, but I'm not sure I enjoyed it. I'm not sure it it took me where I wanted to go from what I had expected from the novel. I think they are two very different things. The book is kind of a bit of an existential premise, but it's executed in this very typical creepy thriller kind of fashion. And that's the whole point of it is that it's about this creepiness and it's about being a little bit scared. Whereas the movie is much more of a surreal examination and it's deliberately weird, which we expect from Kaufman. That's par for the course for him. And that's great. He does that so well. But is that the tone that I wanted this to take when we look at the source material is kind of a different beast. There were just two different things. And I think I just have to kind of deal with that in my mind and reconcile that. And that's, that's fine. I can take them as two separate things and not try to think of them linked. And I think that's kind of the key here. And the trouble when you do these things, I read it and then I watched it in a very short space of time. I do think the movie takes some of the underlying themes and less obvious takeaways from the book and it translates them so well into some new ideas in the film. And they're very clever and very well done. 
And I think that is a real achievement for the film because a few things I was like, yes, that actually fits in really well with the underlying stuff from the book. And it's kind of making it in a much more filmic way, more obvious to the viewer. And I respect that. And I like that it gets what the book is doing, but the tone is so different. And then uh, the ending happens in the film and I will, I'll decline to say anything else but we go some places that I didn't expect and we executed in ways that were off to the side, let's say. So I think tackling one or the other, they're both good in their own ways. Just understand that the story will appear different to you once you know kind of the full lay of the land. So that's the my overall view of Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things based on the book. It is on Netflix. It's a film, so you can watch that now on there. It's interesting. I think it's a talking piece. It's not for everyone. There's a couple of points where I was like, this is weird. And I rarely actually think stuff's weird because I have a very high tolerance for weird. (laughs) Um, Like very high tolerance for weird. Like we know on Zero G, weird is like normal. So, yeah, I I prefer the book, but that's because I I was in the mood for a thrilly page turner and the movie was something kind of different. So, and that's how you. How do you feel this rates in terms of Kaufman's movies overall? Look, lower on the scale for me personally. I think probably because maybe some of those other films there's something for me to latch onto that I find quite personal and I feel very I relate to quite heavily, whereas in in this I think there's some interesting stuff to think about, but I didn't feel it on an emotional level. Yeah, no, nah, maybe rating. I would say a yeah for both, but like I said, don't do what I did and expect them to be the same thing, they are very different and you just attack them differently. But I'd say generally, uh, yeah, I think the film's well done. It is strange, but some people might really love that. And just be prepared. Just go in with just a blank slate. That's what for both. You've really hooked me in there with the cast list alone. It's, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I would cheerfully listen to Tony Collette just chanting some arcane ritual to summon up demons. (laughs) Exactly. Just just to speak of an everyday occurrence. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like they're both such brilliant actors and as soon as I saw they were going to be in this, I was like, we are not messing around here. Like I, I, I think it's, it's, it's wonderful. So, and again, I think those two young actors, like Jesse Plemons is obvious. He's incredible. He's such a good actor and he's doing so much interesting stuff and interesting, I mean, very sinister characters. Yeah. And I think Jesse Buckley, I think she shows a lot of promise. That makes me sound so snooty, but I would love to see her in something else. Let's just say that. So yeah, overall, I think check it out. Might be for you. It might not be. That's cool. Mm. Well, Okay. In terms of riffing off that, I got nothing, but (laughs) no, actually I I chose to scatter some more music that reminded me of the the science fiction premise of the Amazon Prime series Tales from the Loop. And so we've got here, and this is a treat, the Higgs Boson Blues by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds from their Push the Sky Away album. This is Cory Doctorow, author of Little Brother, Information Doesn't Want to Be Free, and the forthcoming novel Walk Away, and you are listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R. Yeah, the Higgs boson blues. Mm. Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds push the sky away. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much pop culture contained in that, and and Mm -hmm. physics pop culture in that one song. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I, I played that to sort of riff off some of the elements in um, 
the television series Tales from the Loop. Mm. I think I'm going to kind of give you a bit of a, an extended heads up on that today. It's on Amazon Prime. It is eight episodes long. Long so, episodes? I didn't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is a show based on Simon Stallenhag's art books. He's a Swedish artist and a musician and a designer and so on, mm-hmm. and he's done these retro-futuristic digital images. Mm. So what he does is landscapes based around the Swedish countryside and then throws in science fiction elements like oh. – like rusting robots and strange structures in the distance. And it's, it's all very science fictional but in a domestic sort of style. Mm-hmm. That's where it comes from. And they have gone off and they've made a television show based on that. Now, you think that might actually be fairly difficult. But what they've actually done is they're focused upon an idea that's very similar to what they did with Eureka. Mm-hmm. So that television series it was set in a town in the United States where they had all the geniuses mm-hmm. and they'd been running that since like about World War Two. And so it's this town where wonders happen and every episode something badly goes wrong with those wonders. <laughs> <laughs> so Tales from the Loop is kind of like that but more surreal. Mm-hmm. Actually, I reckon it's as if Charlie Kaufman had done <laughs> Eureka. Nice. But The town is called Mercer, and beneath the town of Mercer is The Loop, which is the experiment that they've been running for quite some time in this universe. And because it's paralleling sort of like a a bit of a decline in the Swedish welfare state, at least in the eyes of that artist who Mm -hmm. is the inspiration for it, things are a little bit run down. So everything's a little bit rusty. The paint's chipped. Some Mm -hmm. of the experiments have been and gone, and there are relics of those lying around, which explains how they can have these anti-gravity tractors floating, rusting in a field, and mm-hmm. and rogue robots sort of just running around, and, and why the, the sort of Futuropolis Tomorrowland lights that are set up, they're flickering. So things are not quite right in this place. Mm-hmm. They're not quite as wrong as in Eureka. <laughs> the tone of this is very, very different. This is a show that reminds me a lot of various surreal sorts of things, a little bit like Cloud Atlas. Ah, okay. Mm -hmm. If you remember that film and the Mm. book too. I felt when I was watching this that I was very melancholic. Ah, okay. (laughs) I'll give you a warning. Try not to binge watch this one. Mm -hmm. It's probably not suitable for that. You might end up feeling quite sad but Ah. this is a very cerebral show and i really liked it it's it's beautifully shot the lighting in it is atmospheric the cinematography is first rate if you can call it cinematography i know it's television but oh no tv is like up to the stakes these days for sure yeah amazon prime by the way is is where you will find it and you can see all of all eight episodes there at once so but don't watch them all at once i'll give you a pandemic warning this one might be a bit too heavy for you but sometimes you feel like leaning into the melancholia you know it's very poignant okay. too usually in each episode they'll they'll tackle one particular scientific development but it's not the same way as eureka they were often core to the storyline here, they're sometimes off on the periphery. In fact, mm. you sometimes don't even find out what it's got to do with the the strange science of Mercer and the odd experiments until right up near the end of the episode. Okay. It's very much a meditative piece. You feel that like you're getting 
all kinds of emotions being triggered in this, mm-hmm. which actually come to think of it is probably a theme of one of the stories. I do want to drill down into this a, a bit later at length on another episode of Zero G once I've watched the entire series. I'm almost there, and I just want to see if they bring any further changes. But one of the common things in this show is that they are actually using the same core cast of people, the director of Mercer, his family, a little bit like they do with the Fargo series, how sometimes you get sort of distant echoes and sometimes very close ones. Mm -hmm, In fact, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. echoes are a theme of this show at one (laughs) stage in particular. Yeah, I will drill down into this a little bit later in Zero G, maybe even in next week's episode when I'm I'm more up to speed on it. I think it's a great series. It is a complex one and you could say – it's in the same league as Black Mirror, mm-hmm. but also with a little bit of Electric Dreams thrown in, if you remember that um, other the anthology. Philip, mm, this Philip K. Dick adaptation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, the other anthology series that we've um, talked about recently as well. It is a, a fine little piece. It's a very, very complex show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like the way that you do get crossovers between the different characters. Like you'll see one episode and you'll get a character in there and in the next episode or maybe two episodes down the track, they will backtrack to that character and you'll see why they were doing this at the time. Right, right, okay. And, and that even actually figures prominently. There's an episode where a, a couple of characters have managed to stop time and it's one of those ones where everybody else is frozen. Got it, you yeah. Know? Mm. And, of course, you play tricks on the frozen people. Oh, yeah. And a couple couple of episodes down the track, you see what the consequences of that. Right. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, this is a a very sophisticated series, Tales from the Loop. It is beautiful. The the retro technology I I purely am in love with, the look of the show is great. Mm -hmm. Uh, The music is is very melancholic at at times. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, as I said, Philip Glass is in there Mm. playing that music too. But, you know, we'll we'll pick this up on a later episode of Zero G. So if you want to do some homework, go out and watch a couple of episodes of Tales from the Loop, Mm -hmm. and it's on Amazon Prime, eight episodes. So, you know, they they seem to be rolling these things out in eight to 13-episode bursts. Mm -hmm. So if you want something a little bit more thoughtful, Mm-hmm. It's one for you, and it's very cerebral, and that is actually a feature of several of the stories. And there's some great actors woven throughout it. All right, well, that's about it for today. And to go out with, I thought I'd choose a song called Reflector. Now, this has got some science sort of running through it, a bit mm-hmm. of themes, <laughs> themes, <laughs> uh, and it does have echoes of David Bowie in it because he actually has got some vocals in the opening track. Now, this is a, a Canadian indie rock band. It's called Arcade Fire, and the album came out in 2013. And Bowie's guest appearance is largely due to the fact that he really liked Reflector. Mm. and also Arcade Fire. He was really into their vibe. It's This is very nostalgic episode for me because Arcade Fire was very big in my youth. Yes, so, yes, very familiar with Reflector, very keen to hear it, haven't heard it for a while. Oh, really? Oh, mm. there you go. If they're, Ser- quite, they're quite popular, Rob. <laughs> Serendipity, which I think rhymes with, in terms of syllabic count, uh, with adaptation and Oklahoma. So we're doing quite well today. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Brunatic coming out next with Astral Glamour. 
Thank you to Kayla Larson, our podcaster. And thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.